Good morning. morning. It's good to see everybody again. Glad to be back. Uh, It has been a wonderful uh, two weeks, 13 days for us. Uh, There is absolutely no way I can express uh, and explain all that I've seen (laughs) and all that we've experienced. all I can tell you is, is that I was, we were blessed greatly, encouraged uh, in many ways, uh, many of the passages that we saw and we've read and we've studied came alive as we saw places that we had read about in the Bible and it, it, it uh, concluded at the British Museum and uh, on yesterday, was it yesterday? No, two days ago. And uh, we saw uh, just so many amazing artifacts. Uh, I saw a, uh, a picture of a lion that was in Nebuchadnezzar's palace uh, that Daniel saw. I saw a, a picture of a servant that Esther saw. I, I saw the uh, bowls where uh, Nehemiah, the cupbearer, had held uh, <laughs> I saw a picture of Sennacherib's defeat or a, a big gigantic wall of uh, Sennacherib's uh, uh, defeat in Lachish. Uh, just, uh, it, it was truly amazing. And, and then not to mention all that we saw in, uh, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, I, I want to express my gratitude uh, for you all that... Uh, because some of your offerings did help pay for us to go, and we're thankful for that. The, the, the elders, the staff elders were paid for by that, and we appreciate that. Uh, we're thankful. I hope that you will be blessed as we are able to then share the things that we've learned and grown. And I have to admit to you that uh, 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 I want to go back, but I want to take the whole church. Uh, and we'll take like four or five buses if that's... What it is, uh, I would love to plan a trip in a couple of years. Uh, yeah, that means start saving now. Uh, we had a, a, an amazing guide. Uh, he was a believer, a Messianic Jew, and uh, had numerous conversations with him. He was very clear in not pointing us to the traditional sites. He was very clear in showing that those things were not necessarily why we were there. He was good at telling us geography and pointing us to the truth. Uh, he, he led us in some devotions that were really good. Uh, not everybody on our bus was necessarily on the same page as us, but he was. I, I believe he was. And it was excellent, and I highly recommend him uh, again. So uh, thank you, Bob, for recommending him. But, you know, uh, 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 along those lines, Bob is the one that kind of helped put this together for us. Uh, he's been twice and had Mickey both times, right? And um, that's our guide. And so, Bob, thank you, brother. You, you were uh, a big instrument. And then he preached for me last week, right? And y'all were blessed, weren't you? Yes. And I'm thankful for you, brother. I, I can't tell you how uh, blessed we are as a church to have this elder board that we have. Uh, I've been with Jimmy all week, and he's been gracious to me and gracious to us. We've learned so much and so thankful for this church. So, um, one of the places we visited was where I'm preaching from, right in Matthew 16. 
in Caesarea Philippi. So we go back to Matthew 16, and hopefully I'll be able to help you to see and understand that passage even better as we continue to work our way through it. Because the question was posed last week, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We saw that the question was asked to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then the answer was given. And then Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And the disciples gave an answer. And then Jesus developed the answer and explained who he is. And so we, I, I got about halfway through last time. So we're going to pick back up and we're going to get the other half. And we're going to see how some of these things play together. Sadly, the postmodern uh, answer to who is Jesus is just like the answer to the Jesus in Jesus' day and who people said the Messiah was, Christ was in Jesus' day. It's very much the same. I've often wondered uh, how in the world is one man going to rise up to lead the whole world astray in the days of Antichrist? How is this Antichrist going to do this? How is all the people of the world as a whole at that time going to look to him and say, I want to follow this guy? I have a hypothesis on this, especially after being in Israel last week. Uh, Israel is ultimately a a, a land where religion is everywhere. Uh, Everybody is religious, but very few, very few, a small minority, uh, other than maybe some of the tourists, are real true believers. Uh, there are some areas, uh, one of our brother, Ken, is visiting some missionaries that are in that area that praise God for what he's doing, some Russian pastors. But as a whole, the religion is everywhere, but not real, true, biblical religion, not the Bible's religion. But I have a hypothesis on how they'll all come together. Again, I'm not saying this is exactly how his rise to power will be, but the, the context of our passage gives the root of why my theory I think it's true. The heart of man makes a God in its own image. Uh, They also, guess what? Make a Messiah in their own image too. Uh, They fashion gods in their minds that are pleasant to serve. They fashion a God that serves their interest. Uh, One that they bow down to to their own desires so that they can get their way. So ultimately what happens is humanity makes gods in their own image. We know this from Romans chapter 1, right? And that idea is is that they see and they have an idea of what they want in a god and they make that and then they bow to that god. And that's exactly what's happening in Jerusalem and all over the world is that many, 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 many people have a god made in their own image and the Messiah that they have or their Savior or their Christ is the same way. It's, it's a man-made. And in Caesarea Philippi, there were many gods. Gods made in the minds of the people. Various people worshipped various gods at the foot of the mountain of Hermon. Uh, for hundreds of years, even after Jesus was on the earth, people worshipped at the foot of Mount of Hermon at Caesarea Philippi. And we saw these ruins of false gods. There were temple after temple after temple after temple. There were actually five temples in that area that were made to various gods over the vast, uh, over the period of about four or five hundred years. We saw ruins of all these different gods. In fact, this is Caesarea Philippi. This is a picture from my own camera of the same area. Uh, 
And you can see, no, very blurry. But wouldn't that be the way it is? That one's nice. This one's not. Don't worry. You don't have to turn around. But it's just the way it is. But you can tell, at least you can get an idea that it was. it's a big rock, isn't it? It's a big mountain. It's a giant rock. It's one big rocky cliff, for lack of a better term. And this is the backdrop. In fact, this is what it looked like a couple hundred years after Jesus as time went along and they built all these temples to their foreign gods. And you see temple, temple, where's my pointer? It said no, it's not going to do it. Temple, 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 right? And what are they? They are people making a god in their own image. And they were looking at these and they were worshiping these. And ultimately, this is another picture Maybe a little bit more pleasant. Yes, with a little waterfall there, right? It would be a great backdrop for him as Jesus comes to this pagan land, uh, area outside of Jewish area, where it would be mostly Gentiles. Remember, he had left because why? Because Herod and because the Jewish leaders had said, no, we don't want you. Matter of fact, I want to see you and might end up dead just like John the Baptist, right? And so ultimately, he was fleeing and went to a different area, Caesarea Philippi. Interesting, Philippi, maybe from Philip, the same what? The brother of the other one that he had departed from. So it would be that area that he lived in. So it was here with this backdrop that Jesus asked the all-important question, who do people say that I am? And then the disciples said, then after that, he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? The disciples answered, for many of the Jewish Jews of Jesus' day, that it was John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Peter answered for the group and said, what? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus confirms this answer, doesn't he? Now, fast forward 2,000 years. We toured Israel for 10 days, and ironically, the diversity of answers from the world has not changed. The diversity is still there. In the same area, there's a diversity of answers to who Jesus is. Ironically, you see it. It hasn't changed thousands of years later. In a country and the cities where Jesus walked and taught and did miracles, the variation of answers to who Jesus is was just as varied and just as wrong as it was in the days of Jesus. Interestingly, look at these pictures. We see the Wailing Wall, right? And it's filled with Jewish people that went and they did some worship at this wall. And who were they worshiping? They were worshiping a God in their own minds, one that they had made up in their own minds. It's not the God of the Bible, because if it was the God of the Bible, they would what? Embrace Jesus Christ as the Lord, because he is the rock. He is who Moses spoke of. Remember, Jesus told them what? Even Moses spoke of me. If you believed in me, you would believe. If you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. But these Jewish people, most of them, do not believe in Jesus. And they were here, and we even went under a little area, and we saw these people doing all of these religious activities. Jewish people dressed up with their with their boxes on their heads. You see the guy in the back; he has a box on his head. He has scripture to his head, and then he had it on his arm, and he's. He's doing Deuteronomy 6 in his mind. He's thinking, okay, I'm going to keep this on here. He's being very religious, but he's lost. He's lost. He needs Christ. And then we met these guys, and 
I just happened to make the big mistake of using the camera that makes the clicking noise. Food wasn't good. Because if you look over here in the back, over here on the right, over here, this guy with the big box on his head, he's a little older, he got mad. And he came right at me. I'm like, sorry, please forgive me. Lots of religion. Lots of religion. But love for your neighbor is far from that. Right? But why? Why? Because they make gods in their own image and in their own minds. And they've created a god in their own mind. No different than these here, where you have the church. I think this is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And you can't see it very well, but you see all kinds of different buildings with different kinds of religious objects on top of them. The Greek Orthodox, you have the Roman Catholic, you have also a Muslim, Armenian. You have all of these right there, and all of them, many of them are all religious, but they know who? They do not know Jesus. Shocking. And as we look, we saw uh, all kinds of different characters and this is the, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre over here on the right. And there's thousands of people. There were thousands of people lined up. And they were lined up all to get into a building to kiss a rock. To kiss a rock. And the rock was where Jesus was laid, they say, the tradition. Because if I can kiss the rock, I'm somehow going to know God and experience him more. Hogwash, beloved. But that is our hearts. It makes a God in its own image, and it has not changed over the years. This is the way it is. It's the same thing. It's one of the more discouraging things about going to the promised land. Because you're slapped in the face everywhere you turn, and you see unbeliever after unbeliever after unbeliever with no hope. Lost. Trying to work their way to their God. By being religious or experiencing something. And then there were more. I wish I could play this. I don't think it's going to play. Will it play? Yes, it is. Oh, here it is. Look. Look. Can you see? They're kissing the rock down on the floor. They come down. You'll see it. They see the rock. They kiss this. They need this. They have no hope. That somehow, this is going to get you to God. Make you holy. Shocking, isn't it? There's no change. Except for those who God is working in. To show us the glory of the hope that's found in Christ Jesus. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's hope for those that repent and believe in Him. And it doesn't stop there. Look at this. Yep, I didn't get this picture, but it's a picture off the internet. And you get the same gist because it was on the Temple Mount with all the Muslims bowing down to their God. Caesarea Philippi, 2,000 years later, Jerusalem, the same. The same. Millions of people live and come to this part of the world to worship their God. All of them have made a Christ in their own image. The identity of the Lord Jesus is often much different from the biblical revelation of Jesus. 
We even met people on our own bus that's who sought Jesus, a, a Jesus who needed humanity's help to save them. And he said it. For lack of a better term, he says that I can lose my salvation, and if you don't think you can, you don't know the true Jesus. You. And basically said, ultimately, that I don't sin. Really? And somehow his righteousness, his self-righteousness, is his way to stay saved. Which is again, what? Blasphemy. Not the Jesus of the Bible. We met people in Israel who thought Jesus was one of another or of their prophets, like their false prophet Muhammad. I, I, I talked to one of them on, in London, actually, and gave the gospel to him. Talked to him about how can you be right with God. He said, well, you just do those five things and you're right with God. Have you gone to Mecca yet? I asked. He said, no, haven't been there yet, but I'm going to. I'm going to before I die. Because then I will be able to go to heaven. Because of going to Mecca? What? I said, brother, you... I didn't call him brother. I said, sir, do you know that God, the God who made you is perfect? He's holy. He's righteous. And he does not let sin go. The Bible says that he will let no sin go unpunished. Who's going to pay for your sin? He was stumped. Good news? Gave him the gospel. Jesus Christ came in the world to die for sinners, just like me and you, sir. You need to repent and believe in Jesus. Turn to him. Then there were those who thought, sought a Jesus that would give them a mystical experience in the Holy Land. And by the way, if you want to go with us to the Holy Land, please don't be one of this group. I don't want to take people that are going to somehow experience Jesus in a more fulfilling way by seeing something. That's not what it is. We're trying to see the Scriptures and understand the context because we know about Christ through the objective Word of God, not by an experience. Do you know that I just worship Jesus just as good here than I did in Israel? Why? Because His Word is truth. You don't have to go to Israel, beloved, to enjoy the Lord Jesus. Isn't that good news? Looks like I'm not trying to make a sales pitch for the next time, right? But it helps us to know the context of the Bible a little better. It also puts that grappling in our soul that shows us just how much we need Him. Also, there were many people who considered Jesus as a means of profit. Boy, didn't we see that, guys. That's one of the more discouraging things as you walk around. People, everybody's trying to get your dollars. No matter where you go, they want your money. People that would deny the Jesus that they are selling the objects of, even though they don't believe in them, but they will sell them. Why will they sell them? For the same exact reason that they sold the idols to the people of Judah before they were taken away into captivity. Money. Money. 
People were making many, making a living off of selling merchandise. You know the olive wood with the special designs and stuff. I found it strangely similar to how the Bible describes idols of our Old Testament times. Look at this one. Look at this. You know, in the British Museum, they found several. Uh, they, the, the British Museum had just one display, but they found hundreds and hundreds of these in places where there were ruins. These were idols that were found in Judah in the years before the captivity in Babylon. They were everywhere. Jews had them, had little places in their wall that they would put those idols up. Wait, did not God say, do not make any idols? Yet they had them. And they were then in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This is the Via Dolorosa, where you can walk, where Jesus walked. And at every station, you can stop. But the problem is, is Jesus probably didn't even walk there. Why? That was just tradition. Even our guide, it was amazing that at times he would say, you know, if you want to believe that, that's what you can believe, but it probably wasn't true. There was some irony in what he was saying because that's what people were doing. They were what? Making a God in their own image, a Christ in their own image, one that served their purposes and their interests, not God's. I know I'm ranting here. Please hang with me. There's the markets and them selling all the stuff, the religious items. Ultimately, one of the more profound and discouraging identifications were the people, the Jewish people, that had the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute was a very discouraging place. Why was the Temple Institute so discouraging? You remember, Jimmy? Temple Institute, where they had the all they had a, 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 a an ark of the covenant that they had made, and they had all these objects and all their traditions, and they were completely convinced that Messiah was coming and he was going to help them build their temple. And they had this beautiful design of a, the third temple. And the sad thing about it was was that when I went out and I asked the manager, I said, "Please tell me." How are you going to build this temple when this Dome of the Rock is right there? There, I mean, there's this giant Dome of the Rock there. How are you going to build this temple? How's it going to happen? Oh, we believe Messiah is coming and he will build the temple. What is that, beloved? That's called, they're ready for the Antichrist. They're ready for the Antichrist. That's petrifying. A group, probably 20 to 30 percent of the population, maybe, believes this. I found it so interesting, yet sad, that Jesus is the Christ, and yet they want another Christ. And they really want a Christ that will build a temple and let them go back to their religious traditions. That's what they want. They want to go back to the religious traditions. But ultimately, the problem is, is they have a heart that's rebellious and seeks what it can make. And it was grand. The heart wants a Christ that gives them what they are interested in. I want you to listen closely. We're going to see it in this passage. I want you to understand something. Don't 
make a Jesus in your own mind. Don't make a Christ that serves your own interests. Submit to the Christ of the Bible. And that Christ might call you to do what? As we will see next section, pick up your cross and follow him. The settings are so similar to the days of Jesus and ours. So in our postmodern world where truth is relative, our world is primed for the rise of Antichrist. Why? Because ultimately if Satan gives the world a leader that they can make in their own image, they will all fall in line. A postmodern world thinks you can believe this person is one thing and I can believe this person's another thing and we can be okay. That's what our world is set up for. Everybody has an idea of what Christ should be like. And so, if you're believing a postmodern thought process of no truth, or all truths are truth, then it doesn't matter. One man can rise up, and a Jewish man that's waiting for a Messiah that will build him a temple, that guy can say, I'll do that. And they'll go, yay! Or a Muslim man can oh, this guy's going to unite us and bring us all together and let us worship at our temple. Ah! That's all we need. That's all the world needs. This Christ will be the Mahadin for the Muslims. He will be the Christ for the lost Jewish people. He will be the uniter for the Roman Catholics. He will be a spiritual experience for many mystical people. He will be the intelligent intellectual for the naturalist atheist. He will offer peace to those who are in war-torn areas. He will be the defender of the oppressed for many. Do you understand, beloved? It's no different from Caesarea Philippi. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes, and they serve the God that they make in their own mind. But, beloved... This guy that will be able to do all that is Antichrist. Because Jesus Christ has already come. And he fulfilled what he was supposed to do. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, the Jesus of the Bible is the Christ. And the Bible defines who he is, not our feelings or our emotions or our human desires. Those who get this are blessed as Peter was, right? Peter was blessed. Why was he blessed? Favored by God. Why? Because God showed it to him. If you get who Christ Jesus is, do you understand you're blessed too? If you bow to Christ Jesus, you are blessed too. The God of the Bible. Last time we were in Matthew 16, 13 to 20. We didn't finish, so here we go. Let's jump back in. Like, I'm sorry, that was a very, very long introduction. So we finish, as Jesus gives his revelation of himself. We saw, we are examining the three answers to the question, who is Jesus? The final answer should cause all of us to trust in him and obey him. First, we saw the world's answer. The disciples told them, and then it was the Jewish world, by the way. And Peter then answered. He said to them, 
But who are you? And Peter said, what? But you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then finally we got to this third question, third answer, and it comes from Jesus. There wasn't a question here, but he's answering it. He's telling him who he is. And Jesus said to him, notice, blessed, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Jesus answers here and says ultimately, Peter, you correctly identified me. You got it. Then he proceeds to give more details of who he is. Notice Jesus says several things here. Who is, and just by looking at this paragraph, who is the primary subject, the primary subject of this paragraph? Who is the primary subject? You know, a sentence, a subject and a verb, a subject and a verb. Who's the primary subject? I'll give you a hint. It's the main answer, Jesus. Let's look at it real quickly. Look, my father, my father. Wait, is that a subject? No, it's my is the idea that it's his, and you'll see it'll develop. But he's pointing to himself over and over and over and over and over in this section. When we read this, a lot of people make it all about who? Peter. When in fact it's really all about Jesus, my Father, implying that he is rightly related to God, the Father. And he says, I also say to you, I also say to you implies what? He's the one speaking. I also give you more revelation. I being the subject, Jesus is the one revealing to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, here it goes again, I will build my church. I will build my church. I? Who's I? Jesus. I, main subject. And notice it's my church. Whose church? Jesus' church. It's Christ's church. Again, who's the main subject? Who's the main person? Jesus. It's all, this whole, this whole paragraph is about who? Jesus. Yeah, you got it. You got it. It's like, it's like the book of Matthew, isn't it? It's all about who? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, good. And the gates of Haiti will not overpower it. That is his church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And again, when we read this, we might think, well, he's given it to them and it's really all about them, but it's really not. Because who gives the keys? The Sovereign Lord. Who's the main point of the whole paragraph? The Sovereign Lord. Jesus is. He's the one. The way this is wording, worded is confused by some, but I'm convinced here that this is Jesus is the rock, not Peter. Jesus is. And I know, I know, I don't fit into a lot of the commentaries, but praise the Lord, there are a few of us out there that see it this way. But the whole passage is about who? Jesus. And he's the rock. By the way, a Jewish mind, who was called the rock in the Old Testament? I'll give you a hint. It's only one. Always. Every time, only one is called the rock. And guess who it is? 
God. Throughout the New Testament, who else is called the rock? I'll give you a hint. Only God, the Lord Jesus. Only person called the rock. The rock. Through Scripture, only Jesus or God is referred to as the rock. One of the interesting finds that we made on this trip is the possible association Jesus might have had in his mind, being Jewish, he would have thought like this, is Psalm 42. We read it today. Look over there real quick. A possible association. If nothing else, we see some consistencies. Some consistencies. Look at Psalm 42. In Psalm 42, by the way, I'll leave the map up here and as I read the passage. Psalm 42, 2. Or 42.1, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where's your God? Now, guess where this probably is? This is talking about probably have in mind an area that had lots of streams of water. Lots of streams of water. In all the places that we went in Israel, I would guarantee you there was no place that had as much water as this place other than maybe on the Sea of Galilee itself. Right? Most of the time it was desert. Lots of desert. It was very dry. Or you could get a little bit of water, a lot of water, with a lot of salt at the Dead Sea. But definitely deers aren't drinking from that water. I promise. You say, well, I'm not convinced. It's not the same area. Is it really up here, way up there at the top in Caesarea Philippi? Is it that area? And the area where the Jordan River dumps into the Sea of Galilee, is it the same place? Look, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why... Have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan. That would be the Jordan River, probably north of the Sea of Galilee, where the sea, the river is birthed with the water coming down off of the Mount Hermon. Off of Mount Hermon. Look, 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 look. And the peaks of Hermon. Hmm. Same area, right? I admit, I have absolutely no idea where Mount Mazar is. I don't know. I looked in every book I could find, and I still don't know. So we'll leave that one alone. Deep calls to deep. At the sound of your waterfalls. Where are waterfalls? Are there any waterfalls? I only saw a few waterfalls, and they were... Where? North of Galilee in where the river was. So I can see where Jesus would have it. He's in that area. He's, he's got this thought process. But more importantly, look at who God has called. Look. A prayer to the God of my life, I will say to God my rock. Hmm. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. The point is what? God is our, our refuge. He is the one that is our rock. He is the one that we turn to, to know him. He is the rock. It's significant that much of the area right around Caesarea Philippi is just like where this psalm is set. We see it in some of these pictures. Look, 
Oh, and of course you don't see it perfectly. But you can get the idea. You see the water? You see? It's right. The same concept. The psalm is most likely set to this area north. The Sea of Galilee and at the foot of the Mount Hermon. There's water everywhere, as I said, and water the deers would go to. So, friends, there's really only one rock. For Jesus to say this rock and apply anything other than God would be what? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. I'm convinced. How about you? Hopefully I've done my job with the text. It's God. Real simple. There is only one rock we stand on. Whether it is when we are in despair or when we need a Savior, it is God. And Jesus Christ is God incarnate. So he's a rock. Jesus wasn't affirming Peter is who will be built on. Obviously, right? Jesus was saying he is who the church is going to be built on. And he is the one that will build the church. I believe the rest of the self-revelation helps to develop the idea that Jesus is the rock and we are being built on him. Notice it says, notice your passage. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, talking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be, have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Peter was Bar-Jonas. He was son of Jonah. But Jesus is the son of God. Peter is a rock. Jesus is this rock. The rock. Jesus is a member of, or Peter rather, is a member of Christ's universal church. But Jesus is the foundation and the builder of the church. Jesus' church is rock solid and cannot be overcome and overpowered. Why? Because the greatest power of death cannot overpower Jesus' church. He's the all-powerful one. Just to illustrate this a little bit, one theme was overwhelmingly obvious the entire two weeks we were there. Man's buildings and man's kingdoms come and go. You know what we saw more than anything else in Israel? Ruins. Rocks. Lots of rocks. Lots and lots and lots of rocks. In fact, there were devastated cities everywhere we went. Kingdoms come. Kingdoms go. But Christ will endure forever. That's good news, isn't it? All of them were ruins. Can't even see that one, sadly. Those are the rocks, by the way, just a little bit. The rocks that when Jesus had prophesied in Matthew 24 that not one stone will be left upon, 70 AD, they're all what? Destroyed. They're sitting in the street. You can still see them right there. Rome, the Jewish temple, all of this has gone. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. 
but the church continues on. Ruins after ruins. There you go, Mark. Had to get you in there. Getting a picture. Okay. You can see this one. Praise the Lord. Do you see? We're at Masada here. You see the little black line that's running down? You know what the black line is? The black line is really where the ruins were. All the other, and it was all over the whole Masada. It was a giant building, a giant thing that was built on a mountain by Herod to protect himself from everyone. And ultimately what had happened is is that they came in and they discovered this and then they rebuilt it above that black line so that you could look at it and know what was going on. Why did they have to rebuild it? Answer, the kingdom came and the kingdom left and it was ruins. Such a contrast to Christ's church and his kingdom to come. Because his kingdom to come will not be destroyed. Praise God, right? Ruins. Everywhere ruins. Jesus was building and is building his church. Yes, there are many false followers and people who profess to follow but are following a wrong Jesus. But Jesus' assembly of true believers, the church are being built, and he has delivered them from the power and penalty of death. Jesus is taking a bunch of living stones, that is us, and making us his church. It is built on him, and it is his work that is building it. And it will never become ruins. Isn't that good news? By the way, I think this is another proof that a person that's once saved really saved, cannot what? Fall away. Because if so, what would happen? It would show that the all-powerful Lord that saves the heart can't keep it. He's an all-powerful God. He's Christ, and he builds his church, and his living stones follow him. The next verse is a metaphor, also points to Jesus. Notice, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bounded in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So keys, what are they? Keys were used as a word picture for, in the Old Testament, I think it's Isaiah 22, of authority and access. The one who had the keys had the authority. And to open and shut the doors, the gates, to the palace, the throne room, everywhere. The one who has the king rules the house, right? Whoever has the keys. So we read this and we might think, wow, Jesus gave authority to Peter to grant access to heaven. We might be tempted to make Peter the main point of the passage again. Should we? No, don't make Peter the main point of the passage. You would miss the whole point of the passage. He gave the keys, implying he's the authority. He's letting them use them, right? He's the authority. Jesus is the giver. This was a preview of Matthew 28. Matthew 28, why is this a a preview? Look with me, Matthew 28. Look over there real quick. Matthew 28, great commission passage, right? Great commission passage. This passage is a preview of Matthew 28. Because when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, right? What does he say before that? 
And what is said about him? Look, verse 16 of 28. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus has designated. By the way, I would really like to know where that mountain is. If it's upper Galilee, it could very well be very close to Caesarea Philippi. And it would make sense, by the way. Because it's going out to the nations. I don't know exactly, but it's, in, it's probably up in that area. Wouldn't be surprised if it was the same mountain that the transfiguration is going to happen on. We'll see in a little bit. But he goes to the mountain, or they go to the mountain, which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Whoa, wait. Keys? Heaven, earth, those in heaven, earth. Do you see all the similarities? Keys, probably authority. Who's got the authority? Christ Jesus. He's got the authority. In light of all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, he says what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Disciples of Peter? No. Not disciples of Peter. Disciples of who? The king. We are ambassadors. We have the keys to the kingdom. And I would argue the keys to the kingdom are the gospel message itself. As we go and proclaim the gospel, what? People who are in in chains are freed and loosed. And those who are not God's, not God's children, are actually what? Condemned, as they reject it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Who's the authority? Jesus is. Jesus it's his commission. He makes, they make disciples of him, teaching them to obey Jesus. And look who he is and where he is. He, at the last, pair, or the last sentence there, very profound. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Who's the I am, the great I am? Give you a hint. Jesus. And he's with them. He's building this church, isn't he, beloved? So back to Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16. We'll close. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be, have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. What are the instruments to access to the kingdom of heaven? Keys. Keys are the instrument that are used by the apostles either to condemn, bind, or free sinners, loose. Personally, I believe these keys, like I said, are the gospel, the message of who Christ is, what He's done, who He is and what He's done. When the apostles proclaim this message, either freedom happens or condemnation happens. What a person does with the biblical revelation of Jesus determines what? whether they're saved or lost, whether they're bound or free, right? Who's the hero of this passage? Jesus. 
What people do with Jesus of the Bible reveals whether they are the Lord's sovereign children or not. Even the response by the people to the apostles' message reveals Jesus is Lord. Why? Notice in the passage it says, shall have been bound in heaven. Shall have been loosed in heaven. What is that pointing to? That's pointing to the sovereign will of God. It's Okay, do you understand? You go out and you preach the gospel. You share who Christ is. And they accept Christ and they receive Him and they love Him and they want to worship Him. What is this revealing? God's previously ordained plan for those people. That's it. If they reject it, and they reject it to the end of their life, what does that reveal? I know in here some of y'all are going to be, ooh, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. What's it say? Shall have been loosed in heaven and shall have been bound in heaven. Who is the king of heaven? Who is this king of glory? Jesus Christ. He's the Lord and he's building his church. And those that oppose him are his ordained ones to oppose him. You say, ah, that's too hard, Mike. Well, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Ouch! In the same section that talks about the rock. Hmm. And the living stones. Hmm. I wonder, you think Peter had that passage on his mind or that time on his mind? I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. I'm positive of it. This stone which the builders rejected. This precious value then is for you who believe. How many of us love Christ? Yay. You praise God for that. Blessed are you, people, because it was God that revealed that to you. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock, Petra, Jesus, of offense. Let me tell you something, folks. Listen closely. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. What has been appointed? It's ordained. And you say, I don't like that passage. (laughs) I don't like that passage. Can we just not read that passage in the Bible? Okay. I'm going to take it home. I'm almost there. Y'all can hang it. Hang with me, right? Bob, do you end early last week? Huh? 12 o'clock? A little early? Okay, so I got five more minutes. I'm taking his time, getting a little bit extra. Hang in there. We're at 12.15. You can make it. How many of you read the Bible and you find places in the Bible you just don't really like? Are there some of those concepts in there that you say, I just don't like this one? Be careful, beloved, because you might be making a Jesus in your own image. And you might not be any different. We can not feel comfortable with a passage, but at the end of the day, we still have to say what? He is God. I am not. I trust him, even if I don't get him. 
Does that make sense? There are passages in the Bible that ruffle my feathers too. But ultimately, Jesus is Lord, not me. There's only one way. There's only one way. And it's a narrow gate. And few find it. Many go the way of destruction. Many go the way of destruction. Many think it's by what they do and somehow this religious act is going to get me to God. Wow, just saw a huge tree fall. Many go that way. But there's only one way. And it's the rock. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. The one who gave the keys. The one who is building his church. The one every single one of us should bow and obey. Jesus gives this strange warning, though, at the next passage. Look, and we'll, we'll can finish this. 20. Okay, if you heard all that great truth, you heard all that great truth, and what if I ended the sermon like this? Don't tell anybody. Don't go tell anybody. Look, verse 20. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Tell nobody? What? That's the greatest news in all the world. You're the king. You're the one that's building a church. You're the one that's going to give us the keys to heaven. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Tell nobody. See you next week. Let's pray. Father, I love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace and your goodness towards us. We pray that you will be honored in all that we say and do. We thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you that you have opened the eyes of our hearts, that we may see his glory, see that we're sinners, that Christ is our Savior, and that we have hope in him. Lord, when we get discouraged, remind us that you are the rock. And may we preach to our hearts to trust you, whether in when we prosper or when we are poor. Whatever we have in this world, may we always bow to the Lord Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of the world. We love you. We commit this day to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.